mention cancer and often it takes me right back to that moment when I heard the words, you have breast cancer and it's aggressive and you're going to need some really serious treatment. That was over 30 years ago. And that was a time when cancer, it seemed as though was always a death sentence. Um, but even people who had cancer didn't want to say and whisper the word cancer because it was terrifying. I'm Sharon Betters, and you're listening to a Help and Hope podcast produced by Marking Ministries. And today I have with me Marissa Henley, who knows exactly what it is like to hear not just that you have cancer, but a very rare cancer, a very aggressive rare cancer that threatened her very life. So I think every one of us is going to either experience cancer in our family or someone that we love, someone that we know we might experience it ourselves. And there are lots of questions along the way of how do we get through this, but also how do we help a friend or a loved one who is experiencing cancer? And Marissa has written a book called Loving Your Friend Through Cancer that answers a lot of those questions. I am so excited to introduce her to you and to let you know about her book. I hope that you'll order it right away because even if you don't need it right now, you're going to need it someday. So I'm really excited to introduce you to Marissa Henley. Marissa, welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Marissa, before we hear about your story of your battle with cancer, first I want to say when I picked up your book, I thought, there's so many pages to this book. How, <laughs> what is there to say that's going to take so many words? And yet when I read it, I thought, oh my goodness, this is, it just covers everything. It, not just for the person who wants to help, but for the cancer fighter themselves helps to process a lot of things. And so I know we won't get to talk about all that today, but thank you so much for pouring your heart out. I really appreciate it. Well, before we get into the book, tell us a little bit about your life right now. Well, I live in Northwest Arkansas and I have been married to my high school sweetheart for almost 21 years. And I spend most of my day taking care of our three kids who are more and more every day not needing me to take care of them. They're 15, 13, and 10 years old now, but they keep life very busy and full and joyful. And that's mostly what I do. And in my spare time, in the little cracks between driving kids around, I do some writing and occasionally some speaking. Well, we're, we're happy that you're doing that writing. You're fitting that writing in. So... <laughs> I know that the day before your 34th birthday, you got some news that turned your life upside down. What was that? Well, I got the biopsy results of a lump that I had found in my breast. And as you mentioned, it came the day before my 34th birthday back in October of 2010. And the diagnosis was a rare cancer that I had never heard of called angiosarcoma. And I had to ask the doctor how to spell it and um, just felt very overwhelmed and scared in that moment. And when I hung up the phone with the doctor, I typed it into Google, of course, which I don't recommend, but that's what I did. And one of the first things that I read was that it has a five-year survival rate of about 30%. And at the time, my boys were six and four years old, and my little girl was 18 months. And 
we really didn't know what the future held for me at that point. And from the very first moments, I cried out to the Lord and I just begged him to let me live those five years long enough to walk my daughter into first grade, long enough for her to be able to remember me. And um, there were many months of treatment (laughs) and it was successful. And we're so thankful to the Lord. He has given me not just those five years, but I'm going on nine years now being healthy and being with my family. And I'm so grateful. Well, knowing just a little bit about what you shared in your book about this aggressive cancer, I, I think it's truly a miracle that God worked through medicine and wise doctors and just performed such a supernatural act in your body. You chose a very extreme pathway, though, for treatment. Tell us about that. Well, we were told pretty early on after my diagnosis, doctors here locally were recommending that we go to MD Anderson Cancer Center in Houston. Just because the cancer that I had was so rare, there are only about 200 cases a year in the U.S. And so there's not a lot of research out there to help doctors around the country know how to treat it. You really need to be treated by someone who has personal experience successfully treating this disease. And we were able to find that at MD Anderson. And so when we found an oncologist there who treats it regularly, and he looked at me and he said, I can cure you, that was that was a really great moment to hear that before that nothing we read offered any medical hope. And of course our hope was in the Lord and knowing that his plans were good and that he would be faithful no matter what those plans were. But it was really nice to hear some medical hope. And so earthly, from an earthly perspective, we put my life into the hands of that doctor. Of course we knew my life was in the hands of the Lord, but we, we saw him use that doctor to prescribe a treatment plan, and it was very aggressive. I did seven rounds of chemo. Each round of chemo lasted about five days, and then I would have two weeks off. And I ended up needing to go on a clinical trial in Houston because my platelets were really low after the first couple of rounds of chemo. And we knew that I needed a lot more chemo to have a chance to beat this. And so I ended up on a clinical trial and having to spend two out of every three weeks in Houston, which was devastating to me, even more so than the diagnosis, because it took me physically away from my children and my husband and caused me to have to basically live in Houston for a few months. And then I had five weeks of radiation, which was also in Houston. (laughs) And then finally surgery again in Houston, but that time I only had to be there for a week or two. And so it was about nine months total of treatment and about six months of that took place in Houston. You're a young mother, four young children. I mean, just there's so many layers to um, illness that I don't think people who aren't the the sick person or close to the sick person really understand how far reaching it is into every layer of life. And you certainly are an extreme picture of that. So once word got out to your friends, what was their response? It was so beautiful how the body of Christ came around us, even just in those first few minutes. Mm -hmm. One of my friends showed up at my door and she sat folding laundry in my bedroom while I made phone call after phone call after phone call. And it was so comforting. We we still joke to this day, (laughs) why was she folding laundry? (laughs) We're not sure. Uh, I think there was just a basket sitting there on the floor and her hands needed something to do. 
And, but it was so comforting to me, not that the laundry was getting folded, but that I had someone there with me as my husband was, was on his way home from work and all of those things were happening. Another friend just showed up in my kitchen with ingredients to cook dinner for my family because this phone call came at around 2 or 2.30 p.m. And I basically was on the phone from that point on. It hadn't occurred to me that people were going to need to eat that night. I wasn't really feeling like eating, but of course my kids would need dinner. And so people just showed up with their presence, but also meeting practical needs from the very beginning. And it was so beautiful. In your book, you talk about determining your circle, about people who want to help in, in situations like this, determining their place in your circle. What, what do you mean by that? Well, I think the first step to supporting someone with cancer, well, the first step is prayer. <laughs> and the second step is determining your role in her support network. And I think sometimes it's easy to get confused in these days of social media. We might overestimate the closeness of our relationship with her because we know where she took her last vacation or even what she had for breakfast this morning. But we need to honestly think about, are we an inner circle best friend who socializes often and shares personal information? Are we a middle circle friend who we bump into each other from time to time? We go a little bit deeper than just talking about the weather, but we're not necessarily close, intimate friends. Or are we in the outer circle of acquaintances, people that we see at church or we have a social media relationship with, or maybe we've been closer in a past season of life and now we live far away and we don't get to talk very often. And once we've done that, we also need to understand that the outer circle has a really important role to play. I could not made it, could not have made it through those several months of treatment without a really large outer circle that was wholeheartedly committed to feeding us. <laughs> and that is one of the roles of the outer circle. And so I saw through my experience, I needed all three of those circles to be doing their job. It's not that any one circle is more important than the other. And most likely, I wish this weren't true, but it is, we're probably all going to be in the outer circle of someone with cancer probably multiple times in our lives. And so we need to understand that's where we are and we have an important role to play in that. I, I like what you're saying that you wouldn't have survived without that outer circle. That mm -hmm. that. Uh, that was just as important in, in getting you through. What, what were some of the things that were the most helpful to you? I love, I love that your friends swooped in with a meal, uh, ex you know, right away. They knew right away, okay, this is what she needs right now. What were some of the other things that people did? The most impactful thing that people did was to pray for me. And I know that sometimes it might feel like when we're sitting and praying for our friend, we're not doing something. <laughs> I'm a doer. I like to do things. And so I get that. But that was something that all of my friends could do, whether they had four kids under the age of five, whether they lived 600 miles away from me, whether whatever their situation, they could pray for me. And I knew that probably thousands of people were praying for me. I was on so many church prayer lists and um, people spreading the word and asking others to pray for me. And so when I would face a really difficult moment or I was feeling really sad or overwhelmed or anxious, I knew there was a really good chance that someone somewhere was praying for me at that very moment. Mm -hmm. And so I think we need to really just understand the impact of that praying for our friends and 
And then my friends did a great job of just meeting our logistical needs. I had three young kids. <laughs> they needed to, to go places and <laughs> to be taken care of and they needed food and they needed clean clothes. And so one of my friends cleaned our house on a regular basis and other friends drove my kids to school and to their piano lessons. And they would pick my kids up and take them to do fun things when I couldn't. And so my kids wouldn't miss out on those things. And all of those logistical things were so helpful just to free my husband and I up to focus on the crisis that we were walking through. So we were, we were thankful for the prayer, for the logistical support, and then, of course, the emotional support. I needed my friends to listen and let me process some really difficult things that I was wrestling through. And Marissa, in your book, um, Loving Your Friend Through Cancer, you expand on this in a lot of detail that I thought was really helpful. There were things that I had not thought about that mm-hmm. you mentioned people did for you. And, and really, any one of us could do many of those things. Even if we feel like we're on the outer, outer circle, we can still be a voice of encouragement and comfort and strength. And I really appreciate all the practical things that you, you include. Lots of times people will say, I don't know what to say. I'm afraid I'm going to say the wrong thing. What are some of the things that you would say, don't say these things to someone who is struggling with cancer? Is it black and white or, or is it just depends on the situation? Oh, I wish it were more black and white than it is. <laughs> I think there are some things that are good for us to steer clear of when we're talking to our friends with cancer, but it is really a wisdom issue that we need to cover in prayer before we we go to be with our friends who are suffering. And I think one key to not saying the wrong thing is to just say less. And we see that in Proverbs ten nineteen. It says, when words are many, transgression is not lacking. And so the more we say, the more likely we are to say the wrong thing. And really what our friends need is someone to listen and to sit with them. And if they're rejoicing, to rejoice with them. And if they're weeping, to weep with them. And so we can't go wrong when we are listening. (laughs) But when we do open our mouth to speak, um, I'll share just a couple of things that I think are good to keep in mind. One is I've heard over and over again from those who have walked this road that it is not helpful or encouraging when people say things like God has a plan or God is in control or God is God works all things together for good. And Sharon, I believe all of those things are absolutely true. They are in God's word. They are clear. And when I was going through the cancer, those truths were comforting to me when the Holy Spirit was bringing those to mind. But when other people said it to me, it felt like they were saying, why are you so upset? Everything's going to be okay. Maybe you should just trust God more and you wouldn't be crying right now. And that's obviously not what we're wanting to communicate to our friends with cancer. And so we need to choose different truths from God's word to share with them that are more appropriate in that situation. And so I found that sharing verses that talk about God's presence with her or God's comfort for her, the Psalms are a really great place to go for those kinds of verses. Those will communicate the support and comfort that we're wanting to give. And then a couple other things to keep in mind. One would be to try to keep the focus on our friend with cancer rather than shifting the focus back to ourselves. And I do this all the time. I'm still like, I've written the book on this and I'm still so terrible at it (laughs) because we just want to find a point of connection when our friend is hurting. And we think that that might 
that might help the situation or ease the awkwardness of the pain that she's feeling. If maybe we compare the nausea that she's feeling from chemo with our morning sickness from when we were pregnant or the stomach bug that we just had. The problem with that is that chemo related nausea is a completely different story. <laughs> and she's probably going to feel annoyed in that moment because she knows that and she might feel misunderstood or not feel heard in her suffering. And so we just want to keep the focus on her and not on ourselves. And then the last thing that I'll say, and I might step on some toes with this, but I do recommend that people do not share medical advice or share about the latest thing that you read on the internet that's the newest cure for cancer. Because if your friend is seeking to follow the advice of her medical team and maybe the thing that you share doesn't quite fit with that, or she takes it to her medical team and they say, no, let's not go there right now, she might feel kind of awkward the next time she sees you if she's not following your advice. And so you can let her doctors be the doctors and you can just be the friend. I, I really resonate with everything you're saying. I remember when I was first diagnosed, we had friends and they loved me and I knew mm -hmm. they meant well, but they were, they had really cool ideas about the best <laughs> way to go. Right. And fortunately, I had a doctor who, uh, oncologist who was outside the box with his mm -hmm. treatment. He was very aggressive. I mean, even back then I was in the hospital four days out of every three or four weeks and hooked up mm -hmm. to all this poison that was going into my body so much so that the nurses wore like three layers of rubber gloves so that it wouldn't touch their skin. So you know, I'm thinking, I'm imagining what is happening to my poor body. Right. But you are desperate sometimes. And especially in today's age, I think if we're looking for an alternative treatment, we could probably find it ourselves. So I think that's, I think that's really good advice. You talk in your book about the questions that uh, cancer patients might be asking. And I love the way that you handled this because you're equipping someone to come alongside of them and to give them an insight into this is where her heart and mind might be. Maybe not always, but it might be. What, what are some of those questions that you think we need to be prepared for? Well, I think that we often have a tendency when we encounter suffering in our lives to ask why. Why is this happening to me? Why is this happening now? That was more the question that I had. I didn't ask a lot of why is this happening to me, but I did wonder about the timing that my children were so young and why would the Lord potentially take me from them when they were still so little? And so I did wrestle through that a lot. Sometimes we might wonder, is God still good? Is God even still God. And we might question our faith and what we've believed to be true about the Lord, because it's so hard to reconcile our experience and our circumstances to what we believe to be true about his character. And so our friends might wrestle through some crisis of faith like that from time to time. And also that she might wonder if life will ever return to normal. I wondered that. And sadly, sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes I have some friends who are dealing with metastatic disease and they will probably be on chemo for the rest of their lives. And so they have to adjust to a new normal. But a lot of times our friends, this is a season that they will go through with their treatment. And of course, life isn't the same after you've had that diagnosis, but as far as her physical life and her calendar and not being at the doctor every single week, some of those things will return to normal, but it may not feel like it at the time. And then I really wrestled through, am I going to die? And what will that look like? And not 
not knowing when, but not knowing when in a way that was different than the not knowing when before the cancer diagnosis. And one other unhelpful thing that sometimes people will say, if you're wrestling through that and you're sharing that with a friend is they'll say, well, none of us are promised tomorrow. I mean, I could get hit by a bus tomorrow. But the, the thing is, probably you won't. You probably won't get hit by a bus and you're not living every day thinking that you might get hit by a bus. And for someone who's just been diagnosed with cancer, that possibility is something that we really have to wrestle through and we have to think about and we have to take that to the Lord and try to come to grips with that possibility of that being the story for our family and what that would look like. I think it's really important to acknowledge the fear, to acknowledge this is normal for you to feel this way. For me, after the treatment was over and I was cancer-free, of course, I went for regular checkups, as I know that you do too. And every time I would go, I would be afraid. Every time I'd have a bone scan, I would be afraid. And I I mean, I would try not to be. And I'm I'm trusting the Lord and all. But every time I would have a test like that, it would be reason to celebrate because things were better. But But I had a couple of friends that I could express that to, and they were never patronizing, you know, never Mm -hmm. saying, you know, you shouldn't be worried about this. You're going to be fine because we knew I might not be fine. And so I needed someone who was okay with that. And what I love about your book, Marissa, is that you really help us uh, understand some of those questions and help us know how to respond to those questions, uh, to, to, to recognize that they're there and that uh, we have an uh, incredible opportunity if we're close to that person to try to walk them through it. But, uh, but even as I was reading it as a cancer fighter and winner, it was helpful to me to go back and think through some of those things and acknowledge, yeah, that's exactly where I was. And there weren't a whole lot of people that I was going to talk to about it. So I really do appreciate that. What about the caregiver? Your husband had to hold down the fort. What are some of the ways that we can help the, the primary caregiver? Well, I think it goes a long way to just recognize that this is something that's happening to them too, and that they need people to come alongside them. And I think it's hard, especially for men, not to generalize or stereotype, but sometimes they're not quite as emotionally in tune with their friends as we are as women. And so men might need to make a little bit of an extra effort to check in on the guys and ask how they're doing and give them a break. My husband really appreciated that. He actually had one of his friends who he'd been close with in another season of life who lived hundreds of miles away, flew in one weekend when I was in Houston getting treatment and helped my husband with the kids. And after the kids were in bed, they could sit and chat. And that meant so much to my husband that his friend would take time away from his family to come and support him. Because honestly, Sharon, most of the support was was directed to me. And most of the cards that we got in the mail had my name on them. And so I think even just little things, like if you're sending a card in the mail, which I hope people will do, because that is one of the most encouraging things that you can do for someone who's sick, put put the husband and wife's names both on it. If their child has cancer, recognize that this is something that's all consuming for their whole family and do what you can to support their marriage. And so just thinking through what is this what does this look like for everyone in the family and how can we come alongside all of them? I remember um, in the middle of my treatments, one of my husband's friends asked me, you know, how, how I was doing. And I said, I'm, I have plenty 
support, but I would love it if you would reach out to my husband, you know, mm-hmm. take him golfing or something. Right. And unfortunately he, he, he said he would, but he didn't. Mm-hmm. And so then I had to battle with, I was mad <laughs> that he didn't help. Right. That much. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think that would be the other thing is I would, I would say to men who are listening or whose wives might be listening or girlfriends or friends to encourage men to really be alert to opportunities. What a gift your husband's friend gave to him. I mean, that mm-hmm. is that is so special. I, I think that is so special. So for me, when I was at the beginning of my journey, the Lord gave me scripture uh, from Isaiah 45 about treasures in the darkness, that he would give me treasures in the darkness, riches stored in secret places, so that I would know he is the Lord my God, the one who calls me by name. Mm-hmm. And then he reminded me of the verse, I will give you new mercies every morning. And I knew that he was telling me, he wasn't saying you're not going to die. I knew that, but I felt he was saying, I am sending you treasures designed to turn your heart toward me. Look for them. And so I began to see in the, in what would be the most insignificant thing to someone else had absolutely no meaning to anyone else. I knew it was a love note from the Lord. And so I'm wondering what are some of the treasures in the, in the darkness that you have experienced? Well, I love that question so much because there's, there are so many, if we had two hours, I probably couldn't share all of them, but I feel like the Lord began giving me those treasures even before the diagnosis that in the years leading up to that time, I was involved in multiple Bible studies that were all talking about God's character. And I feel like he gave me a very solid foundation of the truth of his word and the truth of his character. And so when that storm hit, I knew who he was. And I knew that who he was had not changed in the course of that phone call from the doctor with those biopsy results. And so that afternoon, as I sat, I was on the phone and my friend was sitting folding the laundry and I was talking to people. I kept saying, Jesus Christ is the same. He is the same. And just knowing that his love for me and his faithfulness to me had not changed. It brought me so much comfort. And I don't know if other listeners can relate to this, but there were times before the cancer diagnosis where I was pretty confident that I was a Christian, but every once in a while the doubt creeps in and you think, oh, am I, am I really saved? Or do I just know all the right answers? Do I just, I know the things like, am I really good here? I'm not sure. And in that moment of that phone call and And for me to be able to say, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, I knew that that was the Holy Spirit at work in me. And from that moment on, I have never questioned my salvation because I know that the Holy Spirit lives in me because I know that he was at work and he was giving me those words to say, to continue to praise his name. And he was giving me comfort and peace as I was staring death in the face. And he was guiding us and he was providing for us. And so, I think those treasures of just knowing now without a doubt the truth of God's character because I've seen it tested and I've seen it continue to be so that he is good and he is faithful in all circumstances and that he is always with us. His presence is always with us in the Holy Spirit. And I'm so, so, so grateful for that. Your faith obviously is your foundation. I mean, you have have just described how God prepared you for this through the scriptures and you're, I love what you say that the Holy Spirit really inspired you with those words. That was his comfort that he was giving to you. 
I think a lot of people listening might, they might be shaking their heads. Yes, that they're, but, but their faith might be in more of a universal God. They may not really understand what it means to have that personal relationship to Jesus. As we're wrapping up, can you explain what it means to have a personal relationship to Jesus and how that relationship has carried you, not just through cancer, but to this day, even as you you always have the the uh, the threat or the worry that the cancer could come back. How does your faith, your personal relationship to Jesus, um, enable you to walk by faith? Well, I think for me that relationship is really centered on the cross of Christ, where He took the punishment that my sin deserved, and He gave me His perfect record of obedience to God. And that is how I am saved. That is how I've been reconciled to God. And when I look at the cross of Christ, I see I see a lot of things. One thing I see is that God will go to any lengths necessary to meet the needs of his children. I needed someone to die for me, to take the punishment for my sin. And God did not even withhold his own son that gave him up for me. And so as we read read in Romans, if he's done that, if he's given his son, he will give us everything else that we need. I look at the cross of Christ and I and I think about how God's character never changes. And I know that God loves me just as much today as on that day that he gave his son to die for me. And that love will never change. And I see that God has conquered death. When Jesus rose from the grave, Death was conquered and it was conquered for me. It was conquered for my kids who are in Christ. And so just knowing that I can face the future without fear because God is victorious. And because I've been united to Christ um, by that personal relationship, I also have conquered death and I don't have to be afraid. I have eternal life in Him and I have His presence with me and with my family no matter what we face. Marissa, thank you so much for sharing your story today and for writing this book, Loving Your Friend Through Cancer. I'm Sharon Betters, and I'm the host of this Mark Inc. Help and Hope podcast. And my guest today is Marissa Henley, and she is the author of Loving Your Friend Through Cancer. And I hope you can tell that I think this book needs to be on every bookshelf in every home because it is so rich with help and hope for someone who was struggling with cancer, but also those who love them and come alongside of them. So order it, go out and order it right now uh, before you do anything else. But Marissa, thank you so much. We are able to offer these resources free of charge because people believe in our mission of offering help and hope through Mark Inc. Ministries. You can go to markinc.org where you'll find many more stories like Marissa's that tackle some of the most difficult life crises that are often experienced in isolation where people who love the hurting person don't know what to do. And each story uh, helps not just the person who is living the crisis, but those who love them, who want to come alongside of them. We, we've tackled topics such as adultery, caregiving, adoption of children with special needs, grief, terminal illness. It's just a broad range of uh, really painful times, but filled with hope because of redemption. And so if you have been touched by Marissa's story or by any of our resources, I invite you to join the many people who support Mark Inc. and and ask you to become part of our team. You can go to markinc.org, M-A-R-K-I-N-C.org, where you can safely give. Thank you so much for listening.